Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world, broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world, spreading the news and information. BlakeRadio.com, music for your mind, body, and soul. And welcome to Healing with Dr. Daniels. And you're listening to Blake Radio Station, Rainbow Soul. And it is Tuesday, March 8, 2016. My, how time flies. Now, as you know, I just moved from the lowlands to the highlands of Panama, of course. And so this means that you have no more loud air conditioners, crowing roosters, screaming children, or barking dogs. So, hopefully, That'll be a better uh, better sound show and that you're getting good sound today. All right. Another consequence, of course, is having to hook up everything all over again and uh, exercise my junior engineering skills. All right, so what are we talking about today? Today, a new endangered species. Yes, a new endangered species. You know, we save the whales, save the spotted owl. Now we have another endangered species. I hope you're sitting down. Whites, between the ages of 45 and 54. You heard that right. Whites, between the ages of 45 and 54, are dying in record numbers in 2014. Hot off the press, verified by the medical industrial complex itself. Yes, sirree, Bob. You will not catch me doing any independent off-the-cuff research, no sirree. Yep, I get this information from established sources only. Because, you know, what credible sources? Why work with disputable information <laughs> when the truth is strange enough? So, what's going on with this? You know, I mean, if we can, if we can have a society for prevention of cruelty to animals and, you know, animal rights, you know, what about people? 
Let's put this uh, whites between the age of 45 and 54, dying in record numbers, cut off at the knees in the prime of life. Yes, this, I think, is news. And before we get into the boring details, uh, I, I think it's worth just uh, checking misconceptions at the door. For example, would you say, well, poor people are dying, and you can, I don't know, infant mortality, whatever you want to call it. It's easy for everyone else to say, oh, that's not a problem. That's not my problem. I'm not poor, so don't have to worry. Or a black cis, or a white set. The big deal here, the take-home message, what I'm trying to communicate today, is really everyone is being killed. Medical industrial complex is killing a lot of people, 880,000 people a year. And you know, you got to kill a few whites when you work with numbers that big. It's tough to keep it down to just, you know, uh, poor people or people of color. And then you got the other complication. Medical industrial complex is all about money. They don't kill anybody for free. No. So, the question is this. If medical care is so dangerous, if what I'm saying is really true, that the medical industrial complex is killing, not murdering, because murdering is unauthorized killing, the medical industrial complex is authorized, each and every individual is licensed, um, then the more insurance you have, the higher your death rate. And because they don't kill anybody for free, the more disposable income you have, the higher your death rate. And so here we have a segment of the population, 45 to 54. What are these people doing? They're working. They're working. They're in the prime of life. They're raising their families. These are parents. And if you're the uh, typical uh, educated Caucasian who went to college, you probably didn't have your first kid until you were 30, 35. So these 45 to 54-year-olds, they got friggin' teenagers at home and kids in college. These people are working their butts off to pay some pretty impressive bills. Yes, and so these are not any slackers. Yet, they're dying in record numbers. So let's see what they're dying of and see if we can't sort this out. And this is this comes from uh, Medscape, Medscape.com, and this is January 29th, 2016. When I saw this, let me tell you, I nearly fell out of my chair. Because I said to myself, this is what you would expect. What you would expect is the most privileged class with the greatest number of amount of discretionary income, with the greatest amount of free will, in other words, the ability to act on their beliefs, and the greatest amount of belief in the system would be experiencing the highest or much higher death rates. In other words, the rate of death for this group would be increasing, increasing, increasing. Now, there are a lot of things about having um, a modest amount of money. When I say modest, I mean not poverty level, but not super wealthy. Is once you have a little bit of money, you can do things like um, buy a water filter, which has an incredible impact on your health. But somebody who's living paycheck to paycheck might not understand the importance of a $300 purchase of a water filter, not enough to put aside, say, $10 a month for it. But someone, say, who doesn't have to put aside $10 a month but could just make the purchase is going to, of course, experience much better health. But there is something 
that is cutting these people down in the prime of their life that even a water filter can't protect you from. Eating organic can't protect you from it. So let's take a look and see if we can't sort through this. And again, this is the, uh, from the words, mouth, the medical industrial complex itself doesn't get any better than this. Okay, so white adults, age 45 to 54, so let's, let's break that down, men and women. So we're not doing any gender splitting here. It's not like, oh, it's a man's problem, or oh, it's a woman's problem. Men and women, okay, in the United States are dying at higher than expected rates according to a Commonwealth Fund report released online today. And we'll take a look at that report, too. Deaths from suicide and substance abuse increased for this group between 1999 and 2014, but those causes were responsible for only 40% of the gap. Now, suicide, we've got to understand, suicide is a very fungible category. Um, People who die as a result of taking drugs according to directions are classified as suicide. This is especially prevalent with diabetics. So we have a diabetic with dead-in-bed syndrome. That means they took their insulin, their nighttime dose, like they were supposed to. Their blood sugar went so low at night that they did not wake in the morning. And so these people are classified as suicides. So we had a whole show on that. It's called Diabetes Worse Than We Thought. All right. So the deaths from suicide are up. And substance abuse is up. Now, substance abuse is a very small death category. Substance abuse kills, if we're not talking alcohol, no more than 10,000 Americans a year. That's everybody, blacks, whites, all ages. Just throw them all together. So it's a very small uh, death category. Another thing to know about substance abuse is when a doctor prescribes a narcotic and a patient dies from taking the narcotic as prescribed by the doctor, that death is often classified as substance abuse. Okay, so let's go on and see if we can't find any more clues. Okay, so suicide and substance abuse accounted for 40%. And so basically, we can pretty much, that 40% right there is medically related. We can pretty much say that because what we know about suicide and about substance abuse numbers. In other words, very few substance abuse deaths occur from illegal drug use. Even when you toss in um, heroin and um, uh, speed and all kinds of stuff. Okay. Among younger whites, and we say younger whites, apparently uh, there are people, whites under uh, 45 who are experiencing increased death rate, and that's totally explained by suicide and substance abuse. And you have to remember, the doctors writing these, these prescriptions that these people are dying of also get to sign their death certificate. Okay. So the larger driver, this is even bigger, 60% of the gap comes from the death rates failing to improve as expected for nearly all the leading causes of death, including, hold on to your head here, heart and respiratory disease and diabetes, according to the report. In other words, what we have here, people who are 45 to 54 years old and white, we have here devout believers in the system. What does that mean? That means their level of belief in the medical industrial complex is higher than most, number one. Number two, they actually have the finances, the wherewithal, to act on that belief. In other words, 
if you're employed, then there's a good chance I have insurance. I can tell you, um, you know, having my medical practice in the ghetto, uh, the African-Americans I encounter who weep and cry and complain, oh, my God, I was so sick. I didn't have any insurance. I didn't have any money. I couldn't go to the doctor. But, of course, they're here to tell me about it, right, which means they survived perfectly fine without this care that they would have sought if only they had the money. Okay. So then, with a white person, age 45 to 54, in the United States, it is likely that if they decide they want to see the doctor or they need health care, there is not a financial barrier to getting this. All right. Or I should say less of a financial barrier than for other segments of the population. Okay. So the authors, Dr. Blumenthal, MD, MPP, president of the Commonwealth Fund, and a senior researcher, used data from the Centers for Disease Control. Okay, CDC, there we go, reliable information source. And found the gap was present in all states. I'm going to repeat that. The gap was present in all states. Yes, all states. Now, why is this significant? There's often a, uh, an attempt to pit one group against the other, even whites. Say, well, poor whites, uh, rich whites, whites in the north, whites in the south, red states, blue states, whatever, to say, you know, this kind of us-them thing. But they're all in it together. Everyone's in it together. So we can't say that Republican whites are more effective than Democratic whites, um, whites who are preppers are more effective than whites who are not preppers, whatever. Everybody... Caucasian, in this age group, this is a problem. You are dying in higher numbers. But let's, we're going we're gonna to tweeze this apart. Don't worry. Don't get discouraged. We're going to get this hope. There's hope. The important thing to understand is all states. This is the case in all states. But the gap was smallest in California, Connecticut, Illinois, New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, and Minnesota. Why? Why is this important? This is important because these states experienced the least um, economic slash uh, cultural change with respect to health care. So these are states where um, people in the peak of their economic earning power, which is 45 to 54, generally employed and um, their decision-making capacity did not alter or change substantially in the period we're talking about, which is 1999 to 2014. We are witnessing regression that has little precedent in the industrialized world over the past half century, the author's right. In other words, this is unheard of. This is the first world country. It's an industrialized country. And all of a sudden, death rates are taking a turn, an increase. And we've already been warned. Doctors have been warned. The lay people have been warned, expect increased death rates, uh, 2014, 2015, 2016, and on. Why? Because the baby boomers are getting older, because people are aging. The people aged 45 to 54 are not dying of old age. So this is not a natural cause of death. There's nothing natural about this. Okay. So you gotta, you got to realize this is not, these are not natural causes of death. The authors use heart disease, 
the second leading cause of death among middle-aged whites in the United States to illustrate the trend. After rapidly declining between 68 and 98, deaths from heart disease leveled off between 99 and 2014. Now, key thing here, and as a doctor who was practicing medicine from uh, 1990 to 2000, I can tell you, 68 to 98, we doctors were not using cholesterol medications, and we were not using it after the day. So what happened between 99 and 2014? We started using cholesterol medications in 2014, and cholesterol medications in aspirin a day. And what happened? The decline in heart rate, or deaths from heart disease, stopped. It stopped. However, blacks and Hispanics, heart disease death rates have continued their rapid decline. Now, I can't speak for blacks, we don't have a lot of numbers on that, but I can speak for Hispanics where there has been extensive research and publications. Hispanics as a group do not have access to health care. They do not. And um, their heart disease rates have continued their rapid, read that word, rapid decline. All right. So notice there is not an increase in deaths among Hispanics age 45 to 54. No. So these people, Hispanics, who historically and presently do not have access to uh, health insurance and or medical care, are noticing rapid declines in heart disease. All right. Absent a health crisis, mortality rates should be going down for everyone. Absent a health crisis? Correct. In other words, there is a health crisis. This is a crisis. Okay. So mortality rates should be going down for everybody. And they have been for decades, until the last 15 years. Since 1968, death rates have declined by nearly 2% per year across most age groups, as well as across races and ethnicities, data show. Now, to decline by 2% per year, you have to understand what this means. This means that the death rate for a particular group, let's say people age 65, is 1% per year. A 2% decline means that it would decline from 1% per year to 0.98% the next year. So that's a 2% decline. So it's 2% of what the death rate was. So it's not um, how many percentage points, gross percentage points. It's a percent of the actual death rate. So it's actually, we're, we're really, uh, we're shaving hairs here. Okay. Cancer rates, somewhat of an exception. So cancer deaths were a bit of an exception for middle-aged whites in the most recent report. They dropped 14% between 1999 and 2014, which was a much smaller decline than the drop of 25% for that group between 83 and 98. So from 83 to 98, cancer deaths dropped more than 25%, and from 99 to 2014, they dropped again. The reasons for the trend reversal among non-Hispanic middle-aged whites are unclear. So again, this is written by Medscape Medical Industrial Complex, and we can't understand why the segment of the U.S. population with the highest access to health care is experiencing an increase in death rates. Hmm. But one hypothesis is that the mortality gap for this group reflects erosion in economic standing. Okay. Let's take a look at what erosion in economic standing is. Between 2002 and 2014, the rate of marriage in this group dropped from 72% to 
67%, 10% drop. Employment dipped from 79.9%, we'll call 80%, to 77%. Uh, this is not a very big drop. This is, this is a, a pretty small drop in employment. Those making 400% of the federal poverty level, $100,000 a year, however you know, and more dropped from 57% to 50.4%. Well, wait a minute. So if you're only making 300% of the poverty level instead of 400% of the poverty level, why should that increase your death rate? I mean, the happiness score peaks at 300% of the poverty rate anyway. So using the benchmark of 400% of the poverty rate as a doing okay level is um, is very misleading. Those making 200% or less of the poverty level went from 16% to 22%. Okay. So that might be a little discomfort index there. But the authors say the findings increase concern over persistent lack of health care, particularly as many of the states with the worst mortality numbers are states that have not expanded Medicaid. Now stop right there. States that have the worst numbers, Alabama, Arkansas, Kentucky, Oklahoma, Mississippi, Tennessee, and West Virginia, these are states where the possession of health care drastically increased during these same years with death rates also increased. In other words, uh, in states like Alabama, Arkansas, Kentucky, Oklahoma, Mississippi, Tennessee, and West Virginia, they're generally less unionized. Uh, people have less health insurance. And so when legislation was passed mandating that employers provide health insurance, the number of insured increased in the same time period. Whereas in more industrialized uh, states or prosperous states like California, Connecticut, Illinois, New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, and Minnesota, the mandating of health insurance didn't really have that big of an impact on the workforce because so many people were already covered. But you have these, these um, southern, more agrarian states um, and they have a, a lower rate of insurance. And so mandating insurance will actually increase access to insurance. We're going to get to that in a minute, too. The authors say the findings increase concern over lack of health care. Uh, they acknowledge the gap will not be closed with insurance alone. Oh, really? But say reversing the current mortality trend should be an urgent priority. Now, this is the medical uh, industrial complex talking. So let's go back and let's take a look at the cause of death and what we know about these causes of death. So the problem was the leading cause of death, heart disease. What do we know about heart disease? We know about heart disease is that most, let's say most, a large number of the heart disease deaths are actually diabetics who are overdosed on their insulin. The diabetic is found deceased and up, oh, must have been a heart attack. Must have been a heart attack. And so uh, a lot of diabetics are classified as dying of heart attacks when actually 
what happened was the amount of insulin they took was sufficient to kill them. So in other words, the insulin-related death is actually classified as a heart attack death. What else do we know about heart attacks? Well, if you go back over the uh, scandals, the um, the scandal with uh, sleeping pills, uh, the sleeping pill deaths are generally reclassified, honestly reclassified, misclassified, if you will, as heart attacks. Or put another way, is the heart attack deaths are a complication of taking sleeping pills as directed. Um, for this, I refer you to the Ambien scandal. You can just uh, Google that. It's pretty straightforward. And the next um, heart attack scandal was the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, the COX-2 inhibitors, uh, which are felt to have uh, killed as many as 400,000 people by heart attacks. So if you add these heart attacks, half a million for Ambien, um, and that's only one heart, one sleeping kill drug, uh, 300,000 for the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. Again, these are all over a period of uh, five years or so. Um, and the diabetic deaths, uh, hundreds of thousands, then it's clear that easily 50,000, at least 50,000 of the supposedly heart attack deaths a year are actually due to medication um, or prescribing practices. In other words, it's really the um, cover category for the 880,000, many of the 880,000 killings by medicine. So what we have then is the increase in death in this group is in the heart attack category and the diabetes category. And if you remember, we've talked about diabetes. Um, whenever the hemoglobin A1C is less than 8, and the person is on medications, their, their risk of death increases by 30%. And so simply increasing the rate at which you diagnose diabetes, make sure all diabetics are diagnosed, and make sure all of them are treated to the standard of care. The standard of care says hemoglobin A1C should be between 6.5 and 7.5 with medication, just adhering to the standard of care. And making sure all diabetics are diagnosed is going to increase the death rate by 30% in such a population so managed. In other words, properly managed according to the standard of care. And respiratory diseases, this is, a, this is an interesting um, situation. So what is a respiratory disease? Well, respiratory disease is pneumonia. And what's the common, most common cause of respiratory disease, we're talking about death due to respiratory disease, is uh, death due to hospital-acquired pneumonia infection. And so that's what this respiratory disease is. We're not talking uh, asthma, puff, puff, inhaler, although there are deaths from that. The 50,000 pneumonia deaths per year, the lion's share of those are caused by antibiotic-resistant infections. And how do you get that? How do you get a hospital-acquired infection? Well, you get admitted to the hospital. How do you get admitted to the hospital? Well, you have insurance. And so it seems to me the biggest culprit here in death from this, in this age group, 45 to 54 years of age, whites, 
is simply their insurance and their access to health care. And so I'll make another prediction for you. Um, as more and more segments of the population get health insurance, we will see their death rates uh, skyrocket as well. And so right now, death among African Americans is still declining. In other words, they're still experiencing um, lower and lower death rates. But as more of them get insurance, we will expect them to follow the same trend, which is that they'll have um, skyrocketing death rates. So it's always nice to um, take a look at the report that based this on. This is the Commonwealth Fund, and the Commonwealth Fund takes a look at uh, things for the Commonwealth. So there's better good, of course. And so they're saying substance abuse and suicide are only partially to blame for rising health death rates among middle-aged whites. Halted progress against diabetes. And again, if you look into the diabetes literature, you will find that maintaining your hemoglobin A1C with drugs below a level of 8 increases your mortality. And if you continue to read the literature, medical literature, you will find that the standard of care target for hemoglobin A1C is 7.5 or less. So there you have it. Uh, simply getting your diabetes treated according to standard of care will increase your death rate by 30%. And obviously, this uh, privileged group has been doing that. In other words, seeking medical care and following the advice of the medical professionals. Okay. So this is largely blamed for rising death rates among middle-class, middle-aged whites. So the abstract, recent research has called attention to an unexpected rise in death rates among middle-aged white Americans between 1999, and uh, just for your information, I stopped practicing medicine in the year 2000 and 2014. The full extent of the phenomenon may be underappreciated. In other words, whites may be dying in even larger numbers than what is being measured or reported. If one assumes, based on historical trends, that death rates should have declined by 1.8% per year, then whites in 2014 had higher than expected mortality rates from age 19 to age 65. That's huge, age 19 to age 65, had higher than expected death rates. Furthermore, while increased substance abuse and suicide explain the elevated mortality rates in younger adults, middle-aged whites also seem to be experiencing stalled or rising death rates for most ailments and diseases. So in other words, if you're under, if you're white and you're under uh, 45, they're saying suicide and substance abuse totally explain the death rate. But again, suicides, uh, if you look at suicides, there's a drug in the mix. What's the drug? A prescription drug. What kind of drug? It can be an antibiotic, such as lubiquin, causes suicides. Um, it can be an SSRI, an antidepressant. Look at the package insert, they'll tell you, causes suicides. Um, and then substance abuse. What is substance abuse? Well, substance abuse, it could be illegal drugs, but usually it's a prescription drug, and often, it's actually prescribed. 
So middle-aged whites also seem to be experiencing stalled or rising mortality rates for most ailments and diseases. While a national phenomenon, middle-aged whites face much more adverse mortality trends in certain states and regions. The especially broad reach of these negative mortality trends suggests there's an urgent need for further investigation of its causes and potential remedies. Now, the national nature, like all across the United States, you know, can't say, well, they have snow, so more people die there, or they have more rainfall, or these have chemtrails, and those don't. So we can't blame it on regional weather differences. We can't even blame it on whether or not someone has an accent or cultural or lifestyle differences. We can't, you know. Because it's a national trend, we have to look for something nationally that changed. So what changed nationally somewhere between 1999 and 2014? Guess what? You guys, I kid you not, Obamacare. Yes, Obamacare 2010. Obamacare took effect in 2010. And these people who have higher incomes, higher employment rates, higher access to whatever they deem in life to be important, and who are notoriously compliant, obedient, supportive of the system, have succumbed already to Obamacare. And Obamacare began in 2010. And so... This trend has been noticed in 1999 to 2014. And this is really uh, just uh, an incredible, incredible thing. And so let's see if we can't uh, sort through this. So the Affordable Care Act signed into law to reform the healthcare industry on March 23, 2010, and upheld by the Supreme Court in 2013. Now, when it was passed in 2010, even though there wasn't uh, compulsory compliance, many people decided, oh, well, it's passed. We better start getting our ducks in a row. better start complying. And the Affordable Care Act expands the affordability and availability of health insurance through consumer protections, from what I don't know, regulations, subsidies, taxes, insurance exchanges, and other reforms, like uh, penalties. So, this is, uh, this really tells the story. In 2015, one in six Americans got a health insurance marketplace plan for $100 or less. And 87% was what their marketplace plan got financial assistance. So more Americans are getting uh, covered by health insurance. And as this health insurance coverage spreads, we can expect that we will see increased death rates from the most aggressively treated disease, namely heart disease uh, and diabetes and possibly, probably even cancer. Of course, the true uh, cancer scandal is that, well, most people diagnosed with cancer don't have 
a illness which, if left untreated, would cause some harm. And so that is is the problem. Now, what else is going on with, uh, we'll call it um, Obamacare? Now, the problem with Obamacare is that there are penalties. In other words, it's an unfunded mandate. So the government is compelling people to purchase something, yet not giving them the money they need to purchase it. And so what is the penalty? Penalties now are pretty darn steep, pretty steep. And so they are now rising the penalty so high that the penalty is actually equal to the premium you would have paid in the cheapest local health insurance plan. But what people don't um, don't realize is that by getting health insurance, they are literally um, putting a premium on their head. They are making a situ- they're creating a situation where if someone uh, kidnaps their body and administers medical therapy to their body, that person can actually get paid for it. And this creates a tremendous um, moral hazard and physical danger for individual citizens. So you must apply for most exemptions, but here are some exemptions, and I think it's important to look for whatever exemption. If you don't have to file taxes because your income is below the filing limit, you're exempt. So if you don't have to file taxes because of your income being below the filing limit, you don't qualify. You qualify for an exemption. You automatically exempt. If the cheapest plan available to you costs more than eighteen than eight percent of your income, then you're exempt. And these are all ORs. Or if you applied to Medicaid and got rejected in a state that rejected Medicaid expansion, you qualify for an exemption. This is definitely a reason to move. If you had your plan canceled in 2014 due to the Affordable Care Act you qualify for an exemption. If you went less than three months in a row without coverage, you are exempt. Having coverage for at least one day in a month counts as coverage. So, you can have, you can miss two full months of coverage, then have one day of coverage in the third month and still avoid the fee for all three months. So, again, if you can buy health insurance coverage for four days out of the year, then you've satisfied the Obamacare mandate. So these are a lot of exemptions. These are new. This is as of uh, 2016. So this is hot off the press. And so the important thing is there there are ways around this. You need to exercise, I think, some initiative. And obviously, if whites age 45 to 54 are any indication, then avoiding health insurance will definitely save your life. Because let me tell you, 
The medical industrial complex does not kill people for free. You will not be killed. You will not be killed if the hospital, your doctor, or anyone involved in the chain of getting paid believes they won't get paid. They will step back. The law is very clear on this. They are not obligated to provide any kind of services in the absence of payment. Okay, so shared responsibility payment for not maintaining minimum essential coverage works like this. If you don't obtain and maintain minimum essential coverage throughout the year, or obtain an exemption, you will have to make a shared responsibility payment for each month you want without coverage or exemption. If you have coverage for at least one day within the taxable month, then you won't owe the payment for that month. Now, so the individual mandate summary is, you know, they, they say one day a month, and then two paragraphs above they say one day every three months. But you really need to minimize your exposure here. I think it makes much more sense to get insurance for one day a month. I'm sure there must be insurance plans who sell that by now. Okay, short-term plans and other non-compliant plans purchased outside of open enrollment do not comply with the individual mandate. In most cases, you can only obtain private insurance that counts as minimum essential coverage during each year's open enrollment because insurers are unofficially adopting marketplace enrollment periods. And this is something that we that I saw happening when I was in medical practice um, and in training, which would be the period from 19... 79 to uh, 2000 is that the government would, would establish the policy. Maybe they would establish the policy for Medicare or for Medicaid or just in general a policy. The private insurers would start adopting the same policy. And so even though it might not be the law, it just became something that the individual person seeking health insurance could not escape. So many Americans will be available to afford the fee by applying for an exemption. And so it's actually a process of applying for exemptions. Just saying you must apply for most exemptions. And I will put in the uh, chat room box. By the way, the chat room is sharing with brdaniels.chatango.com. All right, so here is the exemption. Now, this is really uh, shocking. Of course, even the the process of applying for an exemption is a test, just a test, a test of compliance, a test, uh, a test for obedience. But um, the shocking thing here, the take-home message is that death rates are up. Death rates are up for the most insured, the most cooperative, and the most compliant segment of the U.S. population and the segment of the population with the highest disposable income. 
So there you have it. And why did the good die young? Because we're so obedient. And so I think in the case of health insurance, one can definitely make a case for non-compliance. Um, I guess that's the best way to put it, simply non-compliance. Um, this is really serious. This is, this is a very serious cause of death. People really are at risk. People actually are dying, and dying in increased numbers, and dying at the age of 45 to 54. I mean, you listeners, you, I mean, you know what happens in your life between 45 and 54. That's when you're really, you know, you're really making things happen. You have maximal responsibilities. You're meeting your responsibilities. And then all of a sudden, you drop dead. Uh, it's devastating. It's devastating for, for everyone, for, for the, the children, uh, grandchildren if you have them. It's easier. You're, you're helping them out. You know, you're, you're, you're actively involved in doing things. And to suddenly die of uh, an intervention from the medical industrial complex just because you allowed yourself to be intimidated into getting insurance is, is pretty inexcusable. I mean, you have to ask yourself, what's your life really worth? And at what point are you going to just uh, walk away from the leading cause of death in the United States? And this is something that you've just got to, uh, you know, man up and, and do. you just got to pull yourself together and say, you know what, I'm not going to do it. And I hope that the show has given you some encouragement. And if you'll have questions about, you know, ways that they could apply to their situation, uh, they can uh, call us a question, 914-338-0695. And I think if you're already on the line, you can click your, your question button. I think it's the number one. Let's take a look at the chat room. It's always good stuff in the chat room. Okay. My job sent out an email recently making flu shots mandatory. What should I do? Okay. So, first of all, you can always claim an allergy to the flu shots. It's any shot, any vaccine. They all have allergic reactions. Everybody knows this. It's that, you know what? I'd love to get that flu shot. But the last time I got the flu shot, I just passed out and stopped breathing. Um, I won't name names, but I do know someone who gives that as an excuse, and they've been easily exempted from all flu shots. Another thing to do is just to to say, hey, you know what? I'm out of here. And book for employment does not require vaccination. That's another way around it. But you have to make up your mind that you are not going to allow your body to be violated and yourself to be killed over just some trivial requirement to expose yourself to the medical industrial complex that kills 880,000 people a year. That's how these people die. They don't realize they're making a life-death decision. They think they're just being agreeable. They think they're just going along. They think it's just a harmless shot. Oh, it's just a pill. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. Maybe you are doing what you're supposed to do, do, but you're complying in your own destruction. You're aiding and abetting uh, your demise. All right, we have a question here. Hi, you're on the air. You're naming your question? Okay.
All right. So let's see. <laughs> My mother just had a Bosch cataract surgery, and a new lens could not be inserted. What would you advise, Dr. Daniels, for cataract surgery? Um, I think people need to, again, take a look at what exactly they're agreeing to. And what you need to understand is when you have a form that they're asking you to sign with a list of possible complications, you need to understand that those complications are not probable are not possible. They actually happen. Someone actually got each and every one of those complications. And not just someone, but many people. There's a reason why those complications are written there. It's because it's actually a high likelihood of them happening. And I'd say if you are not in your heart ready and willing to accept each and every complication on the complication form, then uh, you should not submit yourself to the medical All right. Friend told me that his daughter in high school must have insurance coverage in order to go to school. What does this mean? That's a good question. The reason that children, they're now mandating, have to have insurance in order to go to school is this allows the school to provide health care to your child without your consent and or your insurance and get paid for it. You need to understand the essence of insurance is it allows the provision of health care, A, without your consent, and B, without any consideration to your personal satisfaction. In other words, whether the service that is provided is something you're happy with or not, the provider gets paid. And I was involved with the school district in Syracuse, New York, and they actually started a school-based clinic as a revenue generator. Yes, they did. And what did they do? They first started with Medicaid, and they basically started providing every single service under the sun and drugs for people who had Medicaid insurance. And what is happening now is this practice is expanding. It's simply a revenue generator. And your child may be going to public school for free, but she isn't. She's literally being asked to pay with her life. Pay with her life, yes. And the reason for her to have insurance is so she can be medicated, one, without your consent, and two, they get paid. And so this opens the door to them vaccinating her, doing your insurance, and all kinds of things can happen at school without your knowledge, without your consent, and, of course, without her consent, right, because she's not competent to consent. <laughs> Dr. Daniel, why do the perpetrators tell on themselves? Well, they're not really telling on themselves. Um, they're blaming this higher than expected death on diseases like heart disease, breathing problems, diabetes. But the point is, if healthcare is so effective, and this group gets more healthcare than any other group in the United States, yet they're experiencing higher death rates, you've got to scratch your head. Either, one, the, the health care is totally ineffective, in which case, why well, get it, or two, 
it's causing the increased death rate, in which case, why get it? So in other words, if you're a rational thinking person, you would say, wait, stop, hold on. We've increased access to insurance. We've increased cooperation with medical intervention. We're taking more drugs than ever for, for conditions we don't even have. You take a cholesterol drug to prevent heart disease. You're taking hypertensive medication to prevent heart disease. You're treating your diabetes to prevent heart disease. You're taking aspirin a day to prevent heart disease and stroke. So people are taking more drugs than ever for things they just don't have. So at the same time, people are dying at higher rates than ever from the very diseases that supposedly the preventatory drugs are helping with. So that would be heart disease and diabetes. <laughs> so, no, they're not telling them themselves. They are telling what's going on, but they're giving you another story, another version. Of course, the answer is we need more health insurance, naturally. But they do say, well, mm, health insurance alone might not solve this. Of course it won't solve this because this is a group that has more health insurance than any other group, yet they're experiencing the worst health outcomes. Now, I just want to note that these whites, age uh, 45 to 54, are not dying of violence or, um, you know, it's not like they're killing each other. That's not what's going on. And the diseases that they are dying of are diseases that have been proven to be the result of medical intervention. Okay, so Dr. Daniels, what would happen if they just closed the emergency rooms? Wouldn't people be harmed? Well, historically, when emergency rooms have closed, death rates have And um, in our last, actually two uh, episodes ago, we talked about the most dangerous room in the hospital, the emergency room. Um, the emergency room literature itself indicates that going to the emergency room increases your chance of death by 30%, 30%. That's a pretty hefty death increase. When you think, your average person, you ask, why are you going to the emergency room? Oh, because I don't want to die. When actually, going to the emergency room is the most reliable way to die. Okay. <laughs> what is the best preventative for heart problems that you recommend? Would it be carnitine, CoQ10, trivita, or daily cayenne pepper, or another one? You know, this is the problem. This is the problem. People think that they can engage in whatever kind of lifestyle situation they want and just take a supplement. It's not that easy. I would say the number one preventative for heart problems would be water, drinking more water. That would be number numero uno would be water. Because water sends the blood so it won't clot and so you won't get a heart attack or stroke. So in most cases of stroke, the proximal cause is um, lack of water. So that would be the one thing that I would recommend. No, sorry, I don't have a supplement to uh, shove down your throat. Okay. So a lot of people have a lot of questions here. Some medical questions unrelated to our topic. 
So I refer people those questions to office hours. And office hours, um, you can go to vitalitycapsules.com, click on the office hour tab. We are having a special $1 for your first month subscription to office hours. And after that, it's $50 a month. I think you'll find a very good value to answer your questions and your specific questions and keep you from becoming a victim of the medical industrial complex. For more personalized uh, access, definitely um, check out uh, Discovery Session. Same page, vitalitycapsules.com. Just click Discovery Session at the top. All right, we have a couple of telephone questions here. Hi, Dr. Daniels. Your name Hi, and your question? Hi. Hi, Daniels. Hi. Oh, I was wondering what we would do for a cough that has been lingering on for a couple months and only has only has a cough at nighttime. It's like a dry cough. Right. So the first thing you realize is it's going on for two months, it's harmless. So relax. Now, nighttime only. So daytime, no problem. But nighttime. Right. Um, mm-hmm. One problem, one solution, easy solution would be just to drink more water, especially in the evening. The other thing is to, is to take a look at your sleeping circumstances. Um, whether it's an air quality problem, whether it's an allergy to feathers in your pillow or something in your bedroom, the sleeping area. So it seems to me it's probably more of a, a hygiene, sleep hygiene type issue. Because okay. that would be the way to uh, to get at it. But that that's really what it is. That it's it's not a um, issue of uh, a medical condition. Okay, another question. Hello, Dr. Daniel. Hi, you're on the air. Yes, who am I talking to? I'm calling because I wanted to um, try and find out how do I get office hours. Do you have office hours? Yes, I do. So you go to vitalitycapsules.com, and you'll see a tab across the top that says office hours. And then you click on that. Okay. um, I have an aunt that um, she's been having chronic stomach problems, and um, we're trying to get her in to see you, actually. Um, oh, I'm virtual, so I, I'm I'm in, I'm sitting in oh. Panama. Oh, yeah. Right, so I, so I'm in Panama. Oh no. Okay, our family yeah, should pass that. What if what if we fly? Yeah. We, what if flew her out to, to Panama? Flew her to Panama. She doesn't want to do anything with any um, regular doctors. She just wants to do holistic. So. Okay, no. so go to vitalitycapsules.com and click on Discovery Session. And then okay. I can probably help her quite a bit over the phone. And then we can see if it's something I can handle, maybe just one conversation, or if it might require something more. Thank you so much. Thank you. We've been trying to reach you okay. for a long time. Okay, great. Thanks for calling. Okay. Okay, so... That's it for today, the newest endangered species. And so we have an awesome topic for next week. Oh, man. What are these tabs when you want them? So next week's topic is cannibalism, are you on the menu? Yep, cannibalism, are you on the menu? So think happens Tune in. We'll see you then.